Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. glad you're here tonight and we're going to look at the book of Romans. What I'm going to do tonight is try to whet your appetite and set up the book of Romans and then uh, next week we'll dig in and uh, look at this book, one of the greatest books in the Bible, if not the most important book in the entire Bible. All of us have problems or live with a problem we know about problems big problems little problems perhaps somebody's come tonight seeking solutions to problems and you've come to a good place many problems are simply not solvable that's even true in a marriage you know some conflicts are not solvable because you're so different and, and uh, you live in such close proximity uh, that uh, you're going to have some things that just keep recurring. There really is no solution. And so we adjust, we adapt, we live with it. Other problems we solve every day. And uh, many of our problems have simple uh, solutions. I'll give you some examples uh, here. If you, uh, this solves a problem that uh, NyQuil, that's a Baptist liquor. <laughs> and if you're coughing, that's, uh, that, that solves a problem for you. Uh, that solves a problem. You realize without this you can't live, you die. And, and, and you know that when you're thirsty, nothing else will satisfy. I mean, you know, I'm big on Diet Cokes and Diet Right and those kind of, but if you're super thirsty for water, nothing else will quench that, that thirst. Or if you've got a headache, then that solves that problem. Here's one, uh, how to lose a guy in 10 days. Uh, some of you need, uh, need that. that Solve that problem for you. Benny Fiber? Well, we won't go there. That's, uh, <laughs> we'll put all that stuff back, uh, back up. But let me give you some help about problems. Uh, number one, don't focus on the problem or you'll get angry. Number two, don't focus on yourself or you'll have resentment. Number three, don't blame others or you'll complain. Number four, don't focus on the present or you might swear. Don't focus on the past or you'll get depressed. Focus on Jesus. Somehow if you can surrender your situation to Him, then not only will you make it through, but it'll be a better journey along the way. What is your greatest problem? I said, it's the easiest. My, 
husband. Uh, it's my wife. It's my kids. It's my job. What is your greatest problem? In Romans, the greatest problem of mankind is identified, and it's the solution is made available. The greatest problem of mankind. That's what Romans is about. And the only solution to that problem. So the theme of this incredible book of Romans is God's solution to man's problem. Justification by faith. God's provision of righteousness in Jesus Christ. The key verses in the book of Romans are found in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Listen to what they say. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For at the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last just as it is written, faith plus nothing. The righteous will live by faith. Powerful verses, revolutionary verses. In fact, we could outline the entire book of Romans based on the righteousness talked about in these two verses. Man's need for righteousness. That's what chapters 1 and 2 are about. God's provision for righteousness. That's what chapters 3 through 8 are about. Israel's rejection of righteousness. That's what 9 through 11 is about. And then how righteousness is lived out on a daily basis. That's chapters 12 through 16. So you can easily see why... These verses are the key verses because it's a book about righteousness. How does sinful man become righteous before a holy God? How is a man saved? What does it take? Romans is the first epistle or letter chronologically, and it follows the pattern of 2 Timothy 2 or 3.16 that says, All Scripture is given by inspiration. And is profitable for doctrine, that's Romans, reproof, that's first and second Corinthians, correction, that's Galatians, dealing with that false teaching, and instruction in righteousness, that's Ephesians. So Romans then is the doctrine book in the New Testament, the theology book of the New Testament. In the fourth century, there was a young professor. Pat, if you just cut me down just a little bit, at least up here. A professor of rhetoric in Milan, Italy. And he was struggling with making a commitment of his life to God. And he just couldn't get there. And one day, he believed that he received a divine command. And the command was, open up the Bible and wherever your eyes fall then read that passage. It's for you. And by, by the way, I don't recommend that unless God tells you specifically to do that. You can get in trouble just closing your eyes and opening the Bible. 
And so he opened the Bible, and his eyes fell upon Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. Here's what they say. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And here's what his journal reads. The light of confidence flooded my heart, and all the darkness and doubt was dispelled. And that young man placed his trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. And it revolutionized his life. And he became one of the most influential men in all of Christendom. You know him as St. Augustine or St. Augustine. More than a millennium later, there was an Augustine monk who also was struggling. He was struggling with the wrath of God against his own sins. And he just couldn't, he couldn't get to where he needed to be. And he had a lot of guilt. And one day his superior gave him an assignment. He was to go to the University of Wittenberg, and there he was to give a lecture on the book of Romans. And so he began to study the book of Romans, and, went, and by studying Romans, he came to the conclusion that salvation is by grace through faith. And that man went to the door of Wittenberg and nailed his thesis on that door. And in that thesis said, man is not saved by works. Man is saved by grace alone through faith. It is faith plus nothing. His name was Martin Luther. And that launched a revolution that shook the world. And you and I, we are a part of that revolution to this very day. We're products of that revolution. On May 24, 1738, a discouraged missionary went very unwillingly to a religious meeting in London. There a miracle took place. Here's what he writes in his journal. About a quarter before nine, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. The missionary was John Wesley. And the message he heard that day in London was the preface of the commentary by Martin Luther on the book of Romans. And the Wesleyan revival swept England, and it transformed that nation. And Romans is still transforming lives to this very day. But think about that. Augustine, Luther, Wesley, three of the greatest leaders in the history of the world came 
to an experience of salvation by grace through faith in Christ as a result of reading the book of Romans. The great influential spiritual leader, Augustine, read only two verses. And he was gloriously saved. Calvin was impacted by the book of Romans. John Calvin, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, greatly impacted by the book of Romans. And we could go on and on and on. But let me just say this. The God who spoke to Martin Luther, to Augustine, to Wesley, is the same God who speaks to you and me today. And the same Holy Spirit that taught them from the book of Romans is the same Holy Spirit that will teach you as we study the book of Romans. You see, I can guide you, but the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the great teacher. And he will teach you from this book if you will open your minds and hearts. And let me just give you some suggestions. Read the book of Romans through in the NIV two or three times. Read it all the way through. Then read it through in the message or the living Bible. Maybe read it once or twice in a more modern translation like the message of the living Bible. And if you're constantly reading the book of Romans, then I think that this study will be life-changing for you. Just as it was for Martin Luther and for John Wesley. Let me give you some quotes about the book of Romans. Gordon Clark said, Romans is the most profound of all the epistles and perhaps the most important book in all the Bible." Godet called Romans the cathedral of the Christian faith. Martin Luther said it's the chief part of the New Testament and a perfect gospel. It's called the masterpiece of the New Testament. It's called the constitution of universal Christianity. Griffith Thomas said, every man should read the book of Romans in one sitting and do that every day for a month. Every man should read the book of Romans in one sitting and do that every day for a month. William Tyndall, who who was the one basically responsible for giving us the English Bible, said every Christian man should know Romans by rote, should memorize it. No man can read it too often or study it too well. And those are just a few of the quotes. So many people, so many religious leaders, so many common people have had their lives dramatically changed by the reading of the book of Romans. So I want to give you some reasons to study this wonderful book. Before we get to the first one, I want to just have a personal side note why I'm teaching Romans. Because the first time I teach through the book of Romans, it literally changed my life. It changed the focus of my ministry. I have a personality that's black and white. 
And if you've got that kind of personality, choleric melancholy, uh, you tend to be legalistic. And I was very legalistic until I studied the book of Romans. And the book of Romans took the legalism out of my life and introduced me to the power of the grace of God. And another reason is in evangelism, when I preached all over America, I got to preach in several hundred churches. And every week I preached, I preached from a text in the book of Romans. And almost every time I preached for the book of Romans, I saw people come to faith in Jesus Christ. When I was in evangelism, I would go out witnessing almost every day because, you see, when I'd go to help a, a pastor in a revival, most of them, you know, didn't work hard all year and hadn't baptized many people, so they had a revival, and they, they basically were saying, we pay you to come in here, and you go see all these people, get them saved, so it'll look better in the associational record. So I'd have to do all this visiting every day. And, you know, I've been through so many plans of, you know, of witnessing the people and so many Southern Baptist things that we've been through, EE and CWT and all those things. But 99% of the time, when I lead somebody to Christ, I just stay in the book of Romans, the Roman road to salvation. There's no telling how many million people have come to Christ by walking down the Roman road to salvation. So when it comes to the, the gospel, there is no greater book that gives us the foundation of the gospel and the Holy Spirit can use it to save the lost. Another personal reason, I feel responsible as your pastor that you know doctrine, that on my watch you are exposed to doctrine. It does matter what we believe. And we need to know what we believe. You see, Baptists believe the Bible. They just don't know what it says. Hello. But we need to know. We need an understanding, and there's no better book to try to understand than this book of Romans. And then, this is probably my last time to teach the book of Romans. I don't know about you, that kind of makes me sad. But I taught the book of Romans over 20 years ago, and it took me two years. I'm going to go through it a lot faster this time. But probably, in, at least in this way, in this setting, this will be the last time that I teach the masterpiece of the New Testament. So those are some personal reasons why I'm taking us on this journey through the book of Romans. Now, let me give some other reasons that you'll find there on your study guide. Number one, it engages the mind. It engages the mind. It's not fluff. It's meat and steak. I don't know about y'all, but I love steak. And, you know, I, you know, I like soup, but that's not my thing. And this book is steak. Every sentence, at times, every word is pregnant with thought. 
It gives your mind a good workout. You can't really study it casually. You have to be intentional about it. It's not superficial. It's not a book of trite responses. It's not about catchphrases. It's not about pious answers. This is the meat of God's Word. It gives us solid answers to our faith. It's not a light snack. It is not chicken soup for the soul. It's a full-course meal. Romans is an ocean of truth. A child can wade in it. Many, many children have come to faith in Christ walking down the Roman road. A child can wade in it. A scholar can scuba dive, okay? You can go as deep as you want to go, and it seems to simply have no bottom. But you see, only God could put together a book like this. It was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and it's still the number one bestseller. And a book that it is so difficult to understand that you can spend your life studying it and still you hadn't touched the surface. You can go as deep as you want to go, and there seems to be no bottom. And yet, a child can read it and come to know faith in Jesus Christ. It engages the mind. And that's what I hope you'll do. I hope you'll engage your mind. I hope you will take this book seriously and read it and read it again and let God speak to you from this book. Number two, it clarifies doctrine. I was uh, at Prestonwood last weekend, and, and Howard Hendricks was there, a man who's had a great ministry and has impacted so many men of God that you know and, and love. And Howard Hendricks said this uh, many years ago, actually. He said, the problem with the evangelical church is that it is a hundred miles long and an eighth of an inch deep. What a statement. A hundred miles long and an eighth of an inch deep. We got to do better than that. Because you see, just, just saying the word doctrine causes some Baptists to yawn and want to go home. Doctrine... I don't want to hear about doctrine. What does doctrine have to do with my daily life? Everything. Everything. And we need to know what we believe. That's why this book is called a constitution and a manifesto containing the very essence of the Christian life. And if we don't know what the Bible teaches about life, we're unprepared for the challenges in life. We need to know what the Bible says. Romans presents a God-exalting theology that causes the mind to stretch and the heart to soar and the soul to sing. I read one church leader who said, I've never known anyone to get off track and into a cult who had a good understanding of the book of Romans. And I'm not sure I have either. 
I've not ever known anyone to get off into some cult who understood the book of Romans. You see, to find out what strange doctrine is, what you do is you study true doctrine. You don't study the strange doctrine. If you're trained to, to, to spot counterfeit money, you spend your time studying the real money, not the false money. You get to know the real, and that's how you spot the counterfeit. And that's the way it is with us. Get to know true doctrine, and then when you run across false doctrine, there will be a check in your mind and a check in your spirit. And it'll keep you from getting off course because let me tell you, even good, well-meaning church people can get off into all kind of craziness. I mean, we, you know, groups can just get talking among themselves and they, their imagination gets going and they can get in all kind of craziness. Well, how can you prevent that? Well, one good way is to know the book of Romans. No biblical doctrine. And there's no better place to build up your understanding of the faith that you believe than by studying the book of Romans. Number three, it identifies the true components of the Christian life. The Christian life, by the way, is Jesus. And if you don't come out of studying Romans, loving Jesus more and wanting to serve Jesus better, you haven't been listening. You, you're checked out. You're already with the Red Sox. But if you listen to what this book is saying to your heart, you will come out of it falling in love with Jesus all over again and wanting to serve him better. Because Jesus appears in every chapter. Nearly 70 references to Jesus. There's a lot of confusion in our world about the gospel. What is the gospel? To some, it's a social thing, and that's all. I've had a couple people talk to me recently, one Sunday in the hospitality room, about a, a pastor who believes absolutely nothing. Somebody else told me about going to church and, and it lasted about 10 minutes and there was simply nothing there. But now they do social things. There are others who see the gospel as easy believism. Doesn't matter how you live, just come to Jesus. And as long as, as you have made that decision, then that's all you need to do. Romans fixes those kind of problems. Romans identifies what the gospel really is and what the foundation of the gospel is, what's beneath the gospel, and what are the implications of the gospel in our lives. Romans links together all the important components of the Christian life so you know what the Christian life is about and you know what it means to live the Christian life. Number four, it sets forth practical Christianity. 
In this book, the Christian is given clear instructions concerning behavior in the home, behavior in the church, behavior in the political arena, behavior in the marketplace. Paul leaves no doubt. This is how we should then live. Once you believe the gospel and understand what the gospel is, then this is how you live out the gospel. He gives us the practical side of it. You see, Paul had a twofold ministry. The first part was to share the gospel with the world, and that's exactly what he did. This, you talk about a visionary man, a man who had a conversion experience on the Damascus Road and became a powerhouse for God. Outside the Gospels, he wrote over half the New Testament. He wrote 13 epistles, and if he wrote Hebrews, which he probably did, that's 14 epistles. What an evangelist. What a powerhouse for God. And he had been, for 10 years, he had been holding these crusades, preaching the Gospel all over the East. But there are other areas that the gospel needs to go, and, and he has a, a world view, and he's headed next for Spain, and he's going to stop off at Rome, and so he writes this letter to Rome. So Paul is the evangelist, and we know that a part of his ministry was simply to share the good news of the gospel, and he did that everywhere he went. He did it before kings and rulers, and he did it before the common man. But another part of his ministry was to explain the gospel to the saved. He had never been to the church at Rome. We don't know how that church started, probably from Pentecost. They were present on the day of Pentecost, and they came home energized with the gospel of Christ in their hearts, and they started that church. But Paul knew they needed a foundation. They needed something to build that church on. They needed to understand what the gospel really is and how it translates into daily living. And so he writes this letter to the church at Rome. And it's practical because we learn what it means to be redeemed and related to God. We learn what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and controlled by the Holy Spirit. We learn how to live a holy life. We learn how we should trust and obey. Paul helps us understand obedience and how to love God with our whole heart. So here's a book that has a strong practical aspect that will translate into your life. He has a word for you. He has a word for me. He has a word for this church. And that's what we want to get from this book of Romans. We want to say, God, show me what you want to show me. Teach me what you want to teach me. Open your spiritual eyes, your spiritual mind, your spiritual heart, and let God teach you what he wants to teach you. Now, let me mention some benefits of studying Romans. Again, on the practical side, as we set up this book, and we'll get started next week in verse 1 of 
the book of Romans. But what can you expect if you come these sessions, if you study the book of Romans with me, how will you benefit? Because that's, you know, that's where most of us are. What's in it for me? What will I get out of it? Well, number one, it will cause you to love Jesus more. You, you can't study Romans without loving Jesus more. If you study Romans, you're going to come away loving him more. Secondly, it will revolutionize your Christianity. When we talked about John Wesley and Martin Luther and Augustine or John Calvin, these men went, they came to this book and they literally were revolutionized by its teaching. And they became revolutionaries. And you know, when we properly understand the gospel, it's revolutionary. You know what, one of my favorite things about Paul, since you brought it up, is that he never got over getting saved. Have any of us? You know, just, just think about your own Christian life. Are all of your illustrations back a few years ago? You know, to many Christians, you, you say, tell me about your walk with the Lord. Tell me about your, your Christian experience. And they say, well, in 1949, 1957, I did this. Well, has God done anything since 1957? You see, when somebody asks you about the Lord, you ought to be able to say, this is what he's teaching me today. This is how he's working in my life today. This is how he's transforming my life today. I think I've told you about Dr. Roy Fish at Southwestern Seminary. He was my mentor and my boss and my friend. And when I taught evangelism under him, the thing that I dreaded most was we would have lunch together at least once every week in the school cafeteria. And I knew that every time we sat down at lunch, he would look at me right in my eyes and he would say, Fred, what did the Lord teach you today from his word? I knew he was going to say that. So I would cram trying to, you know, get with God and get something so I could tell him. And then he would, the second question was, who have you shared Jesus with today or yesterday? Tell me about it. Tell me about it. But you know what really tore me up? Every time he would do that, then he would tell me what God had shown him that day in the Word and who he had shared the gospel with. And no wonder he was the most popular teacher on that campus as they flocked into his classes and held on to every word because he was so passionate and so enthusiastic. He wasn't that typical dry professor, and many of them are, let me tell you. 
I've slept through the best of classes. But this guy's on fire because of that daily walk with the Lord. What, what has God done in your life recently? What experience have you had recently? Number three, it will give us a clear look at sin and how it destroys our lives. You know what? I don't think we hate sin like we used to. I really don't. Sonny, our world is in a mess. I mean, what I, what, I, what I see on television and what I hear happening in our world, it's just hard to believe. Hard to believe. Last night, Lee and I were flipping channels looking for the ball game because Art Walker at his senility told us he was going to play last night. And we were flipping channels, and there was this program that the whole program was about gays. And I'm sitting there, I just can't believe what I'm seeing at prime time on television in our homes. But is there an outcry? No. No. Thirty years ago, twenty years ago, there would have been an outcry. But we simply have grown accustomed to sin and to low standards. And so what we're going to find in, in the book of Romans, it shows us how bad sin really is, how ugly it is, how destructive it is. And it calls sin, sin. I also heard an Episcopal preacher on the television saying that his Bible didn't say anything negative about homosexuality. Well, now, how can you say that? I don't even understand how you could, you could look anybody in the face and say that. Now, granted, they wish that were the case, but it's not the case. And you're going to have to throw out part of the Old Testament and part of the New Testament. Well, Paul doesn't shrink back when he talks about homosexuality or anything else. He calls sin, sin. Remember when, those, when we had preachers who did that? And now we want it lighter and lighter and lighter and quicker and quicker and quicker. It's like one of my members who's always telling me, I've never heard a bad short sermon. Just get it over with. But don't get personal. Don't get on our sins. Number four, it guides us to right thinking which results in right living. When we start thinking right, we'll start acting right. And Romans will help us learn to think right. You see, it's so easy to have distorted thinking in our world today. 
we hear so much stuff that's, that's not right that we get confused about what is right. Paul tries to help us at that point. Number five, it presents a clear understanding of the gospel and exposes easy believism. James does the same thing. If it's real faith, it works. It has works. No works, no faith. No walk, no faith. Number six, it builds our understanding of truth and keeps us from error. Number seven, it makes us more compassionate and less legalistic. I'm a compassionate conservative. More importantly, I'm a compassionate Christian. And that's what we ought to be. Not legalistic. See, we got, we got so many folks who get caught in the trap of legalism. And, and Baptists especially, Baptists have the tendency to draw a circle around themselves, and anything they do is okay, but anything outside the circle that somebody else does is terrible. Legalism also means that you come to church and don't intend to hear anything from God. Hello. You're just doing your duty. Number eight, and I, I would, this would be my heart's desire. It can lead us to revival. You know, if just this many people took the book of Romans seriously and literally opened your mind and heart to what it's saying, and spent time with it, then it could well lead to revival in our church. It's a powerful book. Now, let me close with this. How we view Romans determines what we'll get out of it. How you view it determines what you'll get out of it. What you see is what you get. If you see the book of Romans as a letter to the Romans, then you miss all the message. If it's a letter written to another church in another day, another time, then you miss all the message. If you see it as boring doctrine, then you miss half the message. If you see it as a personal letter to you, you get all the message. Paul wrote this epistle to a real church in a historical setting. But like other books of the Bible, the message was from God, not to just that church, but to every church. 
And this letter from Paul is, is to you and it's to me. And if you'll take it personally. And when you read it, read yourself into the story of Romans. Put yourself there as receiving this letter from Paul. And ask yourself what it means for you. Take it personally. What's the book about? Solving the greatest problem man has. What is man's greatest problem? Sin. How can sinful man ever stand before a holy God? God's provision of Jesus Christ who became sin for us so that we could become righteous. So that we could be saved. So that the Holy Spirit could enter our lives. So that we could become a part of God's forever family. You know what? In a crowd just this size, there's somebody here tonight that's counting on works to get to heaven. You think you're trying to do good stuff, you're trying to be moral, you're trying to come to church when you can, and you're doing all these things, and, and you think that God's going to let you into his heaven. But good works will not solve man's greatest problem. Church membership will not solve man's greatest problem. Baptism will not solve man's greatest problem. Jesus and Jesus only solves man's greatest problem. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 